Hi, my name is Katherine Gallagher. Jan Pesson. And this is our podcast, Bitchin' About Food. Woo-hoo. My voice is high. I, I'm pitching it higher, Jan. <laughs> I'm going for a more feminine look. Okay, Jan, let's get right to it. Okay. Do you remember when we were young? Not really. It was a long time ago, Jan. Yeah, it was. It was a long time ago yeah. when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth. Yep. The internet had not been invented. Nope. We were still using typewriter erasers. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not young anymore, but we're sitting here in front of two of the cutest young girls you ever want to see, the face of the future. Yep. Please welcome to our podcast, Sarah and Dana. Yay! Thank you. We're not as young as we might seem. You're (laughs) very young. Well, it's all relative, (laughs) isn't it? Exactly. And so let's just do a little background. Sarah and Dana, Jan, this is the new face of antiques dealing right here. Wow. Right here, the new face. Don't tell anyone. No. They've made a big (laughs) splash in the L.A. scene. And the way they got to L.A. was fascinating. And we're going to talk about that. But they've basically adopted Dean as their paternal, let's just say grandfather. Well, that's nice. (laughs) Although he would, I should have said father. I think he would prefer brother. Grandfather. (laughs) I think he would. Yeah. Yeah. They love Dean and Dean loves them. Although he comes home and he'll be like, fuck. God, the girls got to a sale before. Ooh, the girls really scored today. They're known collectively as the girls. And so I was telling them on the phone when I had met them, um, when I, I hadn't met them, I've never met them till today, but on the phone we had a com- conversation and I said to Dana, I said, do you think that you guys are going to be known as the girls when you're like 80 years old? And I think the answer might be yes. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, Dean. Yeah. Dean. I would like to be known as the girl or girls <laughs> when I'm that age, no, too. No, Jan. <laughs> I know. That no. ship has sailed. I know. Yes, definitely. All right, fine. Let's move on. But here's how, here's how close Dean, here's how their friendship has evolved. Dean has actually shown them, like, his storage space in his garage, like, the inner sanctums of his workings. Oh, He's my actually God. shown that to them. So that's impressive that, that, they're, is. that they're still around. Anyway, yeah. enough about that. We're not here to talk about Dean stuff. We're here to talk about you guys and um, your food. And I... I, let's get some nuts and bolts out of the way first, okay? Because these girls are multifaceted across a lot of platforms. Let's talk about where you sell, what you do. You have a lot of irons in the fire. You have projects everywhere, which I love. And then we'll move on to how you got to L.A., which is such a fascinating story. I think the documentary will dovetail into that. But, okay, so let's start with your social media. What's your Instagram Back to Eden Gardening is the main Instagram that is related to food. We have probably like six different ones that are different. Back to Eden Gardening? At Back to Eden Gardening? Yep. At symbol Back to Eden Gardening. And that's on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, And what is the nature of that? What's the gist of that? It's basically a gardening movement that was kind of started from a documentary that we made. So... We made a documentary that was called Back to Eden Film, and we put it online for free. And we thought, you know, that's it. We're just making this little project. No big deal. Did you put it on YouTube? Yeah, we put it on YouTube, and it ended up to be, it went viral. Like, it has been viewed over 50 million times now in every country, and um, it just totally shocked us. So it, like, took over our lives, kind of, and became a movement that we still steward. And basically, it teaches people how to grow food with organic um, methods and no dig, less labor, less water, less everything with like more tasty results. Well, how'd you learn that? Well, that was the documentary that we made. Yeah, but how did you learn it? Well, we 
we went we there. Used, we yeah. li- we lived there in Washington in Squim, Washington for a year while we filmed this guy that was growing food and wood chips. And we thought we were going to go for one week and we stayed for a year because it was so amazing and there was so much to learn, even though it's so simple to the method is basically usually with gardening, people will till and dig up the soil. His method is that you don't touch it. You just cover the soil and make sure it's always covered with something. And wood chips are probably the easiest to access free material. So we lived there and ate his food and learned everything that we could learn and then put out the movie and it went crazy and we still ship out DVDs. We just ordered more DVDs because they sell out so fast and it's however long later, over a decade later. I don't know if you've heard of like regenerative agriculture, like that movement. It's like it's a growing um, buzzword that you're going to hear. It's going to be like a new certification even that is kind of the beyond organic certification. And before we had all the language of like carbon sequestration of what this regenerative agriculture movement is doing, keeping carbon in the ground instead of like releasing it when the earth is tilled and conventional farming. It's all about like creating the most healthy soil possible. The next generation's like all over it. And um, I we heard made something on you, this. You've probably heard something about ago. it. Yeah. Like Kiss the Ground was a really popular documentary you might want to check out that was all about that. Um, Woody Harrelson was in it. And, but wait a second. Let's yeah. go back to this scrim. Washington? Squim. Squim. Yeah. Squim. So how did you get a line on this guy? So many weird, like the ways that we've gotten <laughs> any story is kind of the same of like you've heard through our lives of just like this person connected us to this person. It just doesn't even seem like it should have happened. But we heard this story when we were we were both living in Pennsylvania at the time. And um, we were trying to learn, like we had just finished college where we met. And we were like, let's, instead of going to get our master's, use like documentary as a means of educating ourselves on every skill set we want to learn. So we were like, let's learn how to grow food. We were doing all this these small projects about that. And then someone heard about this guy in Washington that was growing food that was like the most miraculous, amazing, big produce and tasted better than you could ever imagine. And his apples had like drops of sugar like coming off of them like nectar. And we were just like, this sounds crazy. And um, they were like, and he's doing it without water, without irrigation. So we're like, this is huge because we are concerned about the environment. And so they wanted to make a book about this guy and the word had kind of like traveled about him, but they had done Sunset Magazine, did an article on him. And we said, no, this needs to be a documentary. So the way that we were back then, we were just like, pack up your bags, like hit the road. We don't need any like funding or resources. (laughs) It'll all work out. And so we did. And then all the rest of it came together. So when you landed there with this guy, was it true? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, were the apples like unbelievable yes. and everything was just like what? And there was no water? Yeah. Well, they so, stayed a year. Yeah, we stayed a year. And when we first walked up, like... It was the best tasting food I've ever yeah. had in my life. Like now... Is that why you stayed? Because the food was so good? Well, yeah. Because <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to learn <laughs> That's how That's how Jan and I would be. Yeah, I wanted to learn <laughs> how to do in. it. <laughs> yeah, that it's like when you go to the grocery store, even the farmer's market now... The food that we grow tastes better than the food you can get at a farmer's market. And the farmer's market's amazing. And we still go if there's something we can't grow, then we'll get it from there. Yeah, they have a huge garden. Let's let me pause for a minute. I I got a picture of Dean. They took a picture of Dean in their garden. They have this gorgeous. I said, is that a big garden? He goes, no, but they've really maximized it. There's a they have you have a house, a coach house, I want to say, or or just a regular house with a backyard. (laughs) And you've you've the whole backyard is nothing but garden and chickens and chickens. But it's. Food that you grow totally. based on this guy mm-hmm. who doesn't have a computer. 
No, like basically he, yeah, he's all basically like off grid. So, so we there's no website have stewarded, we can go to. Oh yeah, there is, but we manage everything. So it's like become a movement that we've stewarded. And what's the website? Backtoedengardening.com. Backtoedengardening.com. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good. Because yeah. that's good to know. But it's your, your it's stewardship. Our, yeah. Your... It's our company. It's our brand. Um, we, you know, off of the documentary that we made, he was the subject, but like we've gone on to interview dozens of other people that have like added to it for the scientific research behind it and kind of working with all people all over the world have stayed in touch with us and write us daily questions how to make it work where they live so we're still like how do you make it work without water which i'm sure we can get into Mm -hmm. if we watch the documentary if we go on the website or whatever but how okay so how was he was he receptive to you guys being there obviously you stayed a year he was super excited that we were there like yeah. When we first walked up, like, the I mean, he offered the... to let us, like, live there. Like, he was very excited. How did he learn this stuff? <laughs> just, just... Well, he is, like, a, he's a very spiritual guy. And so he was basically moved onto this property. His intent was to grow food for his family. But they drilled to have a well for irrigation, and they found that they couldn't get enough water out of it, basically. So he was like, uh, crap, I just bought this, like, huge piece of land. There goes my plan. So his story is that he was, like, praying about it, asking God, what am I going to do? How am I going to grow, like, fruit trees and food without water? And that he felt like he heard inside of him to go out into the forest. And so he basically, which there's also probably a lot of other influences, he was an arborist, and he was having the you know seeing how when you prune trees it makes them grow and there's this waste byproduct that has there's a lot of like sciencey stuff that we could go into of like why it works that we understand now but basically he saw that it was working in nature so he tried to mimic nature in his gardens and it started to have like crazy results most people that are conventional gardeners or farmers will tell you when you talk about wood chip mulch oh that's going to tie up nitrogen in your soil it'll make your plants grow yellow because carbon is wood chips but the um because this is from tree trimming waste there's a ton of green in it so that creates the nitrogen that's what you need to create healthy soil and it's just it's like we we geek out on it because it is like insane what we've seen the results do to so many different people's ground that was like clay and rock and you couldn't like put a fork into it yeah now now it's like beautiful compost and we grow amazing food so this i'm assuming you use the same method in your garden and so your your guys diet is everything that you grow Mm -hmm. and you don't ever eat out no i mean we're not like amish like we we definitely eat out but um okay but we eat as much as we can from like our own food to we couldn't possibly like solely do that on the amount of space that we have but um but we prefer to eat everything that we have and we go to the farmer's market we really care about like the how we source the ingredients what about uh, meat are you big meat eaters no we don't we don't eat meat we like we aren't vegan but i would say we're plant-based another big like buzzword um in the coming generation i would say but um that basically that means like for us that we don't have like a yes or no rule for everything, but we try to stay like as much plant-based as possible. So we'll eat like eggs and dairy um, to some extent, but like I'm lactose intolerant. So I'll try to stick with like things that are specific types like um, sheep's milk, goat milk, um, buffalo. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the food thing because when I was talking to you on the phone, you know, unlike our previous guests where the one one of them does all the cooking and the other one does none of the cooking. You guys actually told me that you share, for real, you share the cooking duties. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I, I mean, how? How, yeah. how does it even work? Is one of you like the sous chef and you boss the other one around? Or are you actually both? <laughs> like, is somebody in charge of the meal and you're the assistant? If there's someone in charge, it's Sarah. <laughs> Sarah's in charge. But but she doesn't have to speak for me to, like, know what to do. Yeah, I mean, I... Oh, what, she just shoots you aside? I like, yeah. those yeah. vegetables well, like, aren't chopped that's right. How, that's how she, like, works is just mm-hmm. very observant and, like, always watching to see. And, like, is that like that person that just pays very close attention to detail and so you don't even have to ask her to help with something and she'll already be like five steps ahead of you help doing it and so i've tried to be like at least a little bit like that and watch what yeah but who decides what's for dinner we both do we both do we always we always have a conversation about it like what are you craving and like sometimes one of us is really like oh this is what i have to have tonight and the other person's just like "Eh, i don't know but um we we always have like a 20 minute conversation about what to eat so do you consider food work no it's like it's pleasure it's like a hobby it's a joy it's like it's an art i think like Mm -hmm. that sarah we're we're both very different personalities like that sarah is very like type a chop it like finally like she her food looks like a chef like did it when she chops her vegetables and i'm like like, yeah that's me more like brute yeah Yeah, and like that i'm more like big picture and like uh expressive i would say (laughs) a nice way to say it well okay but i mean so like so there's specialties like sarah will sarah is is great at all like the baking and like things that require precision like that and i am great with flavor and things that just require like Good cooking sauce. from my heart, like sort of thing. So, but there's, I make a, good but, sauce. but it's different. It's a connection to the earth. Mm-hmm. There's a connection to what's right outside your door. Oh yeah, in your backyard. Yeah. That that informs what you're going to be making. Definitely. You know, Jan and I have the connection to Ralphs and Trader Joe's. Like, oh God, are they out of fucking this? Oh, all right, let's get that. All right, let's just go home. Let's make something. You know, we're yeah. not like coming. I'm so far removed from what they do. <laughs> that well, we're far I've removed seen. from their age, Jan. That's, yeah. that's just cut to the chase. Well, that's part of it. <laughs> well, no, really, this this whole method, the guy who um, who like kind of, you know, was the founder of the method, he he can't walk like anymore. He's he was affected by Agent Orange and it like totally destroyed his nervous system. The guy in Washington? Yeah. Oh. So this whole method is about like saving labor. Like you just like put the covering down, like you don't need to do all that toil and like breaking up the ground and just like back breaking labor. We haven't when we we're during the pandemic, everyone started gardening and like that our yeah. views took mm-hmm. off like higher than ever before. What was that insane. like to log on and go, hey, what what's happening? What what's going on with the mm-hmm. hey, did you see our count? Did it you, was did it, you get a did you get sixty five emails today? Yes, yeah. I did. Well it was crazy because like who has kept up with that and who hasn't? And we were the same that we were kind of like, Well, back to like, you know, normal life now mm-hmm. and we haven't spent as much time in the garden. But considering that photo that I sent you, we've like we just like tossed some seeds out there and like we haven't watered it, we haven't maintained it, we haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. It's like the third year since we installed it. And because of the way that we're doing it, it just is self-sufficient. We're going to have to water over the summer like that. I want to be clear about that. Not everybody's climate. You cannot water all the time. Right. But it definitely reduces it by like 90 percent. What made you guys leave Washington? What made you leave him? We were nomadic. Like we didn't live there. We didn't have any belongings. We just had like a backpack and we were on to the next story. Speaking of no belongings, Jan, you may not know this, but uh, the girls... 
this is how I discovered the girls. Dean came home one day and he goes, hey, I met these girls. We have to watch this documentary on Netflix. So these girls were living in Big Sur and and then like there was a landslide and they couldn't go back to their house and they came to L.A. and that's how they're here. I guess that's Dean's version of the story, but I want to hear what happened because the documentary is good. It's told from the viewpoint of their dog, their <laughs> beloved dog. It was like, like my mom was in the house one day and all of a sudden there was no more house. And so now I'm on the beach and I guess we're going to L.A. It was funny. But tell what happened. So you guys were living. You couldn't go back in your house because the, the the driveway washed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the largest landslide in California's history happened and we were the closest house to it. And the only house that was affected by it. Yeah, oh like my. right next, like when you see the yeah. pictures of the landslide, it's like giant landslide and this little itty bitty house. And that was their house. Yeah. Right. So the highway still every winter is closing if it rains because it's still moving and it's going to probably be a landslide forever um, that it's going to just happen and then they'll pave over it and people can drive over it. But yeah, we were living there and before that big fall happened we started to notice the pipes weren't working the water wasn't working and we were like what's going on and boulders started falling into the driveway and we were were trapped there for two weeks at some point in time and did you feel the earth moving oh yeah yes you could hear it even at night like it was like a it was yeah it was like when we shake the windows off off grid so it's already like dead silent like 200 acre property just like so quiet out there Mm -hmm. and at night we started to hear over a progression of like three months as it started to collapse. Like you just see in the news, it's just like one day, but it was it was over about three months that it started to collapse. And we would just be laying in bed at night and just hear like rumbling and it rocks pep on the roof, like hitting the roof. And we were just like waiting for something to come and like crush you in Did your you bed. Did you know what was happening? We knew that it was the landslide, but we weren't aware like which path it was taking. And then the USGS like started to send satellite images and stuff to us and like other residents that were in danger showing like there's this fissure line right above your house actually and like that we need to do a mandatory evacuation at that point the um the road up to our our house was about a mile that was like zigzag unpaved required four-wheel drive and that started that collapsed so literally like it was just gone the right below was was highway one and then the ocean so the highway dropped down a couple feet, even like where it was like paved, Highway 1. And you weren't, no one was allowed to go through there except we had to, but we couldn't access it by vehicle anymore. So we had to evacuate by foot with whatever belongings we could get out. Wait a minute. I thought you guys were like not home when the slide happened. Yeah, we, so, th- we were, that was the beginning part of it. So that was like, we got a that warning. Was the part we were home then. Yeah, we weren't there when the final fall happened where it completely covered the highway, but we were there for the buildup of it. Mm-hmm. And you had, the reason that you weren't there was because you had to they, evacuate. Yeah, it was yeah. mandatory evacuation. Right. Right. So wait, your driveway was gone when yeah. you had to get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but when you, you did had it, to, oh, sorry, Jane. I'm, sorry. Shut up. Sorry. Shut up. <laughs> God, shut up. Bless America. <laughs> okay. So, Go ahead, Kathy. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, yeah. So, so you, yeah, we had to walk out on foot like that. It was like, I mean, we have some photos that we took, but it was basically like if you've seen the photos of like when an earthquake happens and the ground just opens up, that's what it looked like. So it was like the, we had to like skirt around the massive cavity that was the new road to get up. So you took whatever you could. 
mm-hmm. put it on your back and yeah. your dog right and got the hell out of there yeah and then we got a little bit of footage like while that was happening barely any like just on our phones because it was way too dangerous we we're like we're not going to be those idiots who are like trying to film this while a disaster is happening but then we went back like after it was all happened and like used archival footage and stuff like that so we didn't capture like what exactly we went through but it was kind of our way of processing it all because we were like we're gonna live here forever and we were really we went through ptsd like we were traumatized after it we were depressed like we had just like it just all happened so fast and we were like we're basically like homeless now <laughs> like where do we go so um, but did you own the house no we didn't okay. we were renting so that was a huge like as far as financially we were super like we were fine like what did your landlord say like oh i just lost a house he we found out all this stuff after that like the buildings he, weren't even allowed to be built there because it was like unstable uh, he actually ended up he dying died. soon after trying to fix the pipes that came from a spring-fed, gravity-fed thing, and he fell off the ladder and punctured his lung. And so kind of in a way, the landslide killed him. Oh, my too, God. To, he was in his 80s, too. Like, he had had it since the 70s, that whole property, and it was just, like, very, like, mm-hmm. off the grid. No one really knew what yeah. was going on up there. So How'd you find that place? Craigslist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listed in the wrong, like, location, so no one had snagged it. <laughs> a Big Sur is impossible to find living. So it's if we were like, oh, we want to stay in Big Sur, it's there's nowhere to stay. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So after that traumatic, horrible experience, you turned it into something creative, made the documentary with your dog, yeah. moved to L.A., and you had to start over populating your house from scratch. And that's kind of how you fell into the antiques business. And it turns out you have a huge knack for it. <laughs> Dean yeah. goes, oh, he goes, I, he, Dean goes, I'm the doddering old man now. And these girls are young. I'm like, Dean, you have knowledge. Yeah, we you call have, him our mentor. He is. He goes, no, they're my mentors. I'm like, no, you're their mentor. It doesn't matter. You guys are in the same business. But what's your, um, let's talk about your Instagram and your, I'm assuming you have an Etsy and an eBay, maybe one of the other. Yeah. So let's populate your store. What's your store for Etsy? What's that called? Well, we on Etsy, we don't sell like our vintage finds. We both have Etsy shops for our art, which we also have art businesses that we would sell jewelry and paintings. But for following the vintage finds, it's Los Ageless or Los Ageless. However, Los, so yeah. it's at L-O-S-A-G-E-L-E-S-S. It looks like Los Angeles, but it's at Los Ageless. Los Ageless Art. Art's attached to it too. Yeah, Los Ageless Art. So you can find that on Instagram. It's like the primary way that we share. And then we're, as far as online, we're really just selling on eBay. But What's your eBay handle? It's the same, Los Ageless Art, yeah. Okay. So yeah, we're we're having fun doing that. It's like you said that it started sort of as a practical thing to furnish the mid-century house. And that's how Dean started. Yeah. Yeah, he started the same way. He was, he had to populate a coffee house and then he had to sell everything when the the coffee house didn't make it. And he went to Long Beach. He told you that story and he sold all this crap and made all this money. He was like, oh, this is interesting. And he could watch his son at the time who was little. And it just kind of, you know, that was 20 some years ago. Yeah, Yeah. there's a, I mean, we love the freedom of it, like the running our own production company too. Like it just gives us a lot of freedom to create our own schedules. Like we mostly don't do work for hire. Like we try to stay as free as possible basically, but 
the art, art backgrounds that we both studied art in, in school, kind of we started to realize like we're not, we were at some point we were in line with Dean and we just said, we're not just pickers, we're art collectors. Yeah. Because <laughs> we started to see it as like something that could feed our souls more. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the theme. I'm sensing the theme of your life is feeding your soul mm. because you're not just eating you're eating, but you're connected to what you eat in a different way than, like, I think I am, and maybe you are. Definitely. We don't have, like, an organic connection. You don't have an organic connection to your Milano cookies, do you? You know what, Catherine? <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat Milano cookies. <laughs> I eat other cookies, but that's not my favorite. <laughs> no, I would say I'm not. But I would like to be. Yeah. I just... You know, I find it overwhelming and exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I do. Yeah. I'm just being honest. It's no, like, that's it's, our it's, like tagline of the documentary we made was simple, sustainable solutions because we were just like, this isn't actually as complicated as it needs to be. Like people have been doing this without. Everyone should be growing a little bit of their own food, even if it's just an herb garden or yeah. just growing garlic even. And that's it. Like it's something that you just stick in the ground and then you don't touch it. It will grow and be the best garlic you've ever eaten. So I think that for us, after all these years, I think like that's the thing that I, I'm the most proud of is that we taught people how to grow food. Yeah. Because it's such an important thing to have that connection. And it's Well, let's of... talk about that. So if you go out to a restaurant or if you go over to someone's house and clearly they don't have an organic connection – how do, how do you process that? Like when you go to, like Jan and I are always bitching about restaurants. When you go to a restaurant, uh, <laughs> like what are your experiences with LA restaurants versus let's say Big Sur restaurants or Washington restaurants? Like what has your experience been so far in LA? What do you think? There's I mean, a- the favorite place that we've been recently is Lulu inside of the Hammer Museum and they serve regenerative organic ingredients. And we know that they care about sourcing them. Um, Alice Waters found helped found it or did found it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I know that she really cares about where she's sourcing her ingredients from, from local farmers markets and having it all be in season, like the mm-hmm. menu constantly, constantly changes. changes. There's yeah. there's a good handful of places that we found that were like, wow, you're they're doing it as good as they possibly can like in the city i've been impressed and Mm -hmm. i mean we love the food in la as far as like the diversity of food because there's so many places we've lived that don't have like the amazing thai or sushi or like the diversity that we have here of ethiopian we love trying like foods that are from different cultures because we Ethiopian can't make food. the food like that. I actually got Dean to go out to an Ethiopian restaurant once and he liked it. It wasn't bad. I mean, because uh, in Chicago, I used to go out for Ethiopian all the time and I loved it, loved it, loved it. And I said to him, hey, let's go out for Ethiopian food. He's like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, come on, let's try it. So we went with a coworker and it was good. But, you know, again, Jan, it's a schlep. It's over on Fairfax <laughs> and it's super crowded, yeah. but it's good. Yeah, yeah, Little Ethiopia, Meals by Jeanette. That's our favorite spot to go. So We need to start be... writing these. Down. I know. Did you get the list from Ralph? I did. Okay, good. It's oh, here. you got the list. Our friend uh-huh. Ralph was just here, and he, he, was, he was telling us we were being too hard on L.A., and we should get off our asses and travel more. And then he just <laughs> gave us a whole list of 20 places that are near us that we're going to try that we're really happy about. But, but um, okay, so let's talk about growing up. Like, when you were a kid, who did the cooking? My mom mostly did the cooking, but it wasn't like she was definitely kind of like a feminist about it, that she would be kind of like, dad, you have to help or I'm just kind of going to like wait for you to 
start making something while I take like two hours to make a salad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's just like, so, she cared about food though. But Oh, she did? Yeah. Was she, a, was she a good cook? She was good, but like, I think that we've mm-hmm. surpassed like some level of experimentation that she never, she kind of stayed in one lane. Like yeah. we always would joke like every meal that we go to, it's like salmon with brown rice and like a side vegetable. And so they didn't like experiment as much with adventurous flavors as I would say that I like to, but they were the house that like other neighbors would come and they would, and kids would be like, I've never tried a yam before. Or like, you know, they cared about giving us good food and vegetables and stuff. But did your dad cook too, you said? Your dad tried Yeah, to- but he sucked. <laughs> like yeah. he would make the weirdest things. Yeah. I would like be choking him down. <laughs> well, yeah, my really- dad wasn't good. My dad tried, but he, no. What yeah. About, what about yours? Well, I was just going to say what's really cool is the movie that we made, both of our families are featured in it. We included them and we made them install a garden based off of what the guy says. So oh, you'll see both of our families nice. in okay. it. And when they started to grow food both of our families now like you can't get him out of the garden mm-hmm. like her dad out of the garden he's so proud of it really he grows he has fruit trees he has he's growing more than what we're growing because he has more land and the same with my family they they grow i think 100 percent of all of their produce they don't buy any produce from where the store. is your family they're in gettysburg pennsylvania so okay. they can grow things that we can't really grow as well out here so that's interesting too but they like butternut squash, for example, they grow enough that they can store it all winter long and they'll eat their last one just as the next year's planting is starting to ripen. Oh my so God. they are like super, they're like kind of bordering on farmers, they not just, just gardeners. Yes. You turned your parents into farmers. Yeah, <laughs> they just grew enough butternut squash to like feed. Um, they made the butternut squash soup for a whole wedding, her little sister's wedding. They catered it with their own homemade butternut squash soup that they grew the butternut and for us. And cooked like Oh my God. Hundreds and hundreds of but I think that they've gotten that connection now that your dad like cooks now. Mm-hmm. He like, exper- he experiments still and make some weird things. He puts but, everything on the barbecue. Yeah. That's like, you know, the but guy thing. But, but it's all fresh picked food. But so. what about growing up? Was your mom the chief cook growing up? Growing up, my mom was, but she also had a garden. My grandma had a garden. My grandpa was very involved with um, planting the garden and picking it and bringing it into my grandma to cook it. They had chickens that they, so yeah, my family was like super into gardening. They would do like canning and stuff, which like all these sort of pioneer skills that I was interested in learning and like even Mm -hmm. like the cast iron pans and how to season them and like why that's Mm -hmm. good for um, I love my cast iron. That all of that was sort of like, and like we learned how to make butter from scratch, like all the old skill sets Mm -hmm. we learned or I learned and apparently also from her grandpa. Yeah, we lived with them for eight months and it was definitely difficult at times but we learned so much from them because they put us to work (laughs) yeah they had those skills yeah but i also think you know there's a thing about your guys's life that um you know there's a nomadic sense to both of you like Mm -hmm. you're nomads you're 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 happy to just pick up roots and scoot or in one case the the roots (laughs) scooted from underneath you Mm -hmm. and you had to leave you know i think you and I are a little more settled in our ways. I think we've always been a little more settled. We always like to have a home base, an apartment, a home, a place where, that was our sanctuary. Well, that's, I think, more true for you than it was for me. Really? <clears throat> yeah. yeah. I mean, Catherine, in, how, how long have you known me now? You, you don't in, know my history? You live in Hello? Paris. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Dear God. For you to I, don't know that prosti- I don't know the prostitution stories that you tell, but I'm uh, just kidding. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I mean, when I was younger... I lived everywhere. I went everywhere. 
I lived really? in Paris. I lived here. I lived there. I went there. I went there, here, there, everywhere. Yeah. So no, I was very, I would say I was very nomadic for quite a number of years. I kind of did it in reverse because my family, when we were kids, we moved so much, like tons of times because my father could not figure out really how to make himself happy making and i never moved as a child yeah Mm. so i think that has a lot to do with it i really do so as an adult i was craving like sanctuary and home and one place rather than constantly moving the way we did when we were kids Mm. and whenever you've had to move it's like you're having a nervous breakdown (laughs) no really i can't even think about it you literally are having a nervous breakdown really stressful so it's a post it that's P- that's post-traumatic stress yeah. syndrome yeah, right yeah. there for sure because i don't get like you do no yeah i don't like it moving is not but it's not like it, yeah but if i lost all my if i mm-hmm. if i had to if i if somebody said to me your house is sliding away grab your crap you have five minutes to get out of here walk down make sure you bring your dog i'd be like wait what i need yeah. to pack everything perfectly and I label know. all my boxes <laughs> and i need to like Run to U-Haul. I can't leave all my stuff. Yeah, there. you would yeah. not survive that very well. No, <laughs> you would no. have a very hard time. But also, that is also something about age. Like I think when you get older, yeah. more it, belongings to get attached. Yeah. to. Yeah, and then I think you go through. Like my mother just turned ninety-four, and then I think you go the other way. Yeah, which is like <laughs> hey, you reach sales. <laughs> yeah, right. You reach a point where you're like, you don't want any belongings. You yeah. don't want anything. Yeah. You just want it simple, simple, simple. Yeah. That That's was so the, true. Yeah. yeah. That was the sad. I've talked about this before on the podcast. That was the saddest thing about my mom um, when she was in her independent living. She went from independent living to assisted to nursing home. But right at the end in her independent living, um, once a year, her facility would have a, a, a big giant garage sale. You know, all the all the residents would come out of their apartments and set up tables and stuff. And, you know, as the women aged, they gave away all their cooking stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was always sad. Like, you know, honey, I can't use this. I can't lift this pot anymore. It yeah. is sad. I'm never going to yeah. make that again. I, I can't. It's also I, like the best stuff, though, to collect. I know. I know. <laughs> We're always looking for it. I know. That's what yeah. it is, you know. Yeah. But when they start giving away their cooking pots and yeah. utensils and stuff, it's like, oh. Literally, like, yeah. When we you just... get too old. And also, like, if you love a garden, you know, a garden is work. Yeah. And there comes a time when you're too, like, you look at your friend with Agent Orange, you know, yeah. can he still get out in his garden? He is still, but like, it's like, it's because it's so a part of him that he makes it happen. And like, it's probably he, keeping he has him alive. Some help. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally it is. probably I mean, feeding him as much as he nurtured the ground. Now yeah. the ground is nurturing him back. Right. Even on like alive. a nutritional level, because like there had been scientists that came there even to study, like, what is this that you're doing? And how is this working and they did nutrient tests on the food that he was growing and they found that it was like off the charts compared to what we have in the grocery store really there is like they call it the hidden hunger epidemic we've done all these events and like um maybe you've heard of it but basically it's like the the food that we're buying in the grocery stores has like 60 percent the amount of nutrients that it did just like 50 years ago you guys if i go to the grocery store and buy fruit especially fruit it all tastes the same. Yeah. And by the same, I mean it all has no flavor right. whatsoever. And like that's literally the strawberries all have no back. flavor. Yeah. The blueberries have no flavor. The blackberries have no flavor. Yeah. And at first I thought, oh shit, do I have COVID? Like, yeah. I was like, I can't taste this blackberry. <laughs> I have COVID. <laughs> Swab my nose. Ooh, no, I don't have COVID. Why can't I taste this blackberry? Oh, I know. Because it doesn't have any flavor. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. No flavor whatsoever. Yeah. Fruit. Fruit has suffered 
the most, I think, out yeah. of because you know kale still tastes like kale. Well, it's because they changed still the like onions, they but. changed the laws for a lot of fruit and berries. The um, organic used to be that you couldn't grow um, food that was organic using hydroponics, like growing in basically water. Right. And now there a law passed that then you could. So the the food that you're eating, the berries, they're grown in water instead of soil, and like the there's certain nutrients added via like liquid fertilization. But it doesn't have the same mineral content and all of the micronutrients that and and microbes even for like your gut health and all of that that you do have when you grow food in soil. So that's that's changed like specifically those fruits that you're talking yeah, about. It that, leaches yeah. out all the flavor if you yeah. cook it if you grow it in water. Right. There's no flavor. Yeah. So that's why regenerative ag like came in like a certification for that um, organic regenerative. You have to be growing it in organic soil. You have to be showing that you're giving back to the soil. It's not like depleting the soil because that's a huge problem is that we're losing all of the topsoil and that it's they don't really know how it's going to play out in the next 50 to 60 years. But it's potential for like massive health crisis and famine, basically, yeah. potentially, yeah. you know, just like to be real that there's some really grim outlooks potentially. So that's what regenerative is coming in, trying to say, like, if we do it this way, then maybe that we can recover people's health and like maybe the food will taste better. And it is working. It's just like a slow process. So. Yeah, but how are you going to convince a giant farm that, you know, like that guy in Idaho or Montana who has that meat farm that he provides McDonald's with most of their meat or whatever, or, you know, yeah. a Dow and yeah. their giant chemical thing that, right. you know, pollinates the other guy's farm with, you know, yeah. the guys trying to have a little farm and all their seeds blow over and all that crap. Yeah. Like, how are you going to convince big farming to yeah. to adopt this? There's it's, no way. It's all about the well, money. they yeah. may have no choice. It's kind yeah. of like cars going to electric. It's right. not like the car industry volunteered for that. No. Right. It now, you know, I mean, look, you know, I was having this conversation with um, my coworker about this, that, you know, when Al Gore made the movie um, Inconvenient, in, in, Truth. In Inconvenient Truth, and he was first talking about this, it was considered like, you know, he was an outlier. This was not the norm, right? And so now that's not the case. Yeah. Now it is the norm. And yeah. I, I think with everything like this, it's like now electric cars are going to be, I forget what percentage in like 10 years. It's yeah. it's a huge percentage. Right. So I would say that the same is probably true of this. Yeah. Um, given I, the givens. Yeah. It's not something that they're going to volunteer for, mm -hmm. but it's something that's probably going to have to happen Yeah, because they're not going to have an option. There's not going to be, it's, it's going to be the most financially sound way to go. And that is true. That that's really what the incentive is really right now also is yeah. the statistics that show like, well, you actually will have more yields. You'll have higher yields. You have less input and you will make more money. And then they're like, ding, I'll try oh, yeah. it. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's what is yeah. working. So what, why, why are we wired that way as a culture to not come up with a solution until it's everybody's backed into a corner and there's no way out? Why yeah. Why wouldn't we listen to Al Gore 20 years ago and start taking preventative measures? Well, 
Well, you know, the same way we didn't listen to Governor Brown when he was the governor of California. We thought he, I remember Johnny Carson making jokes about him constantly. This is before your time, Yeah, they obviously. weren't even, they don't even know who Johnny <laughs> you know, Carson is. But if you yeah, Google on, it or you watch it on YouTube, he was always making jokes about Governor Brown and his environmental this and his environmental that. And I remember sitting at home in Kentucky in my living room watching this going, oh my God, this guy's a joke. What a flake. What a freak. Yeah. It's like, no. He wasn't a flake or a freak or any of that stuff. He was right. Yeah. He was also right. Yeah. I don't know why we're like that, but we are. Yeah. And we don't embrace change. Nobody yeah. does. It has it's to like be. It's like that That scene in the movie, do you remember in The Inconvenient Truth, that they use the metaphor of like that there's a scientific experiment when you put a frog in hot water yeah. and then you slowly turn up the That's heat. That's right. right. And they don't, it won't realize because it's like right. such a slow thing when you're experiencing it. I think there's sort of that denial effect exactly. of our human nature. Yeah. Until yeah. we're boiling to death. Well, all right. Let's go back to the guy in. And tell me the name of the movie again. Back to Eden was the documentary that we made all about gardening. Um, okay. And we, what's the guy's name? I keep The guy's it. name is Paul. Paul. Paul okay. Paul so would Paul, back when you were with Paul, would he harvest and then cook a meal based on what he harvested? You got to witness that every night for a year? Well, that's an interesting thing about him is he hardly cooked. Like that he mostly just he grazed. He he ate right out of the garden. Well, we, you, was we, he married? He was, and she would. His wife would do some more of the cooking. He cooked potatoes with um, garlic for us, and was like so proud once. And that was like the only thing he ever cooked. But otherwise, he was like a grazer. Like we would be filming, and when I first got there, I was like, I need to eat like every two hours. So like, how are we working all day without you stopping? And he was just like, I just like pick an apple and pick some kale. And like, he would just keep going. And I was like, you have more energy than me. And I'm like 20. And so, so he would I just changed. graze. He would just hang out all day in his garden, mm-hmm. tending his garden and eating little bits and pieces yeah. from the garden. And that's how he ate. Right. And even like the amount of um, nutrients and like the... Um, the phytochemicals in a plant like you know when you pick it and then you see it starting to wilt that he would always talk about that but the amount of like nutrients when you eat it straight from the garden instead of like letting it sit in your fridge for like a couple weeks or you know a couple days like most people that things would really change and you would lose so much of like the original nutrient quality so So how did you guys eat what did you do we started to be like that. Yeah, he w- he was super generous. Like he didn't sell any of his produce. No, so. I mean, how did you eat up there? That's how we ate. That, they just like said we that. started to pick from his Shut garden up, too. <laughs> <laughs> you have to say everything twice for her, obviously. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> go on. So yeah, yeah, to not we pass would, out. We kind of we, mimicked whatever he did. If it whatever was in season. So when asparagus was in season, we would just go along with them and harvest a bunch and eat it. And so you just ate it raw. But we yeah. would film ourselves eating. It. we filmed ourselves picking it mm-hmm. like we would do really creative if he was like harvesting potatoes we wrote the titles with whatever the harvest was like we just kind of played around and had fun with the food that he was we growing. definitely like cooked more and prepared stuff more than he did we weren't like oh now we're like full raw whatever yeah. but as far as how we sourced our food it, we were, he gave us tons of food that we could just go pick every day so we made that part of like our filming experience and then we would go and like cook whatever at home. Like we weren't just you didn't live eating. with him. You lived no, separate, yeah, separate. yeah. Okay. We lived on like a rental property um, across the way. Yeah. Oh my god. That's so. <laughs> That's yeah. Wild. But literally, I felt like, like I said, I was raised fairly like Southern California, like 
whatever, semi like affluent family where my parents were like concerned about health. And I got there and tasted a piece of his asparagus. And I was like, I've never tasted asparagus in my life. Like that's how it felt after I tried his because it was dripping. He just pulled it, snapped it right off the ground. It just made like a crisp snapping sound and then handed it to us. I literally had a Starbucks coffee in my other hand and I was like, uh, it's like seven in the morning. So I was like raw. So I tried it and it was just like sweet, tender, mm-hmm. juice was dripping out of it. And I was like, wow, like huh. I didn't know food could taste like this. Yeah. So he does, he's like done tours. Like he just recently kind of stopped doing them because of his health. But um, people have like flown there from all over the world to do tours every Sunday, like hundreds of people at a time just for free, just because he's like, you have to taste it to believe it. And this and, is based on your documentary. Cause right. You that's how he up. went. Yeah. That's yeah. how he became like a like movie star, basically. Was he, was he surprised too? Yeah. Yeah. As well like as none guys. of us, we were all very like just doing it kind of out of just joy and really didn't expect anything to come of it. Yeah. So, so getting off the food for just a second, back onto the documentary stuff. So you guys just continue to make one documentary after another. Mm-hmm. And then how do you choose your topics? Is it all in the same? Like, Yeah, we, we like to say like that our themes that we explore, if we had to really narrow it down, are food and art. So um, we've come back to like all sorts of different themes that surround that. But um, one of the other most like notable documentaries that we made that was also a feature was um, about an indigenous tribe that was in Mexico in the Copper Canyons. That was like a whole other podcast like episode about like that we were in like drug cartel region, but the, the indigenous community called the Raramuri were known for not having type 2 diabetes, heart disease, or cancer. And it was all linked to their diet and lifestyle. So we were like hooked. Like we read a book called Born to Run while we were touring with our previous film, living out of a van in New Zealand and just doing our thing. And we got inspired by that. And we were like, this would make such a great story, but this tribe sounds super inaccessible. Like, oh, well. We start telling like some different friends and family about the idea. And of course, like that sort of thing just happens in our life, it seems like. Then Sarah's aunt knew somebody who had a son who was an evac pilot in the Copper Canyons. And he could fly us into parts of the canyon that no one had ever been with cameras. So that's what we ended up doing out of insanity. And um, we had all sorts of like life risking um, things that ended up coming out of that. But we we make films like that, like that we we just pursued like this sounds like an interesting story. And what's that film called? That's called Goshen. And it is also on Amazon Prime is where all of our films that you can watch and our YouTube channel. Our YouTube channel is called Dana Sarah Films. Dana Sarah Films? Uh-huh. S-A-R-A or S-A-R-A-H? S-A-R-A-H. Okay, so Dana Sarah Films is the YouTube channel. Yeah. And Amazon Prime is where you can see Goshen mm-hmm. and Back to Eden. Right. And that Pardon one me. they've picked up on like PBS and um, the History Channel. And um, we interviewed the author of like the best-selling novel, Born to Run, which if there's people who like running, um, they'll like that film too. Because mm-hmm. the tribe is known for ultra long distance running as part of like their cultural traditions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to New Zealand. Yeah. You just happened to mention that in passing. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. we were just in a van in New Zealand and we got inspired. <laughs> what? A van and what? How did you end up there? 
someone just like invited us to come to a screening of Back to Eden right after we made it. And it just took that one person asking us to come that we were like, okay, let's do a whole tour in New Zealand. We've never been and always wanted to go. So we flew there, we rented a van and we, uh, New Zealand's amazing because you can freedom camp anywhere you want, basically. I mean, now I think there's designated areas, but that's what we did for three months. We just drove around both of the islands and we screened the film in really small indie theaters, which was a really fun experience and met really cool people. And How was the food? The food is weird in New Zealand. Like it's kind of like British influence with like meat pies and like um, possum pies. Like yeah. awesome. we didn't touch Gross. that stuff. So we ended up yeah. eating fish and chips was like our go to if we were going somewhere there. Well, and they like sweet potatoes were like they're the they, they, were they super had this known for. unique kind that was like has um, the indigenous um, people there would harvest these different types of sweet potatoes. I forget the the yeah, name too. They were purple and some were red. Yeah. But um, so, my, so my they mother good vegetables. That my mother is like New Zealand is the most beautiful place she's ever been, it and she's been to a lot of places. So. Same, I agree. I've traveled. We've both traveled quite a lot, and that was like our favorite travel experience ever. And we were living with like off of like a thousand dollars a month, like living out of a van, and we we're like that shouldn't have been the best travel experience ever, but it was so freeing and so beautiful. Everyone was so nice, mm-hmm. and we just felt we felt safe. Maybe that was like a little bit of ignorance being in a different place but no, it did feel safer it doesn't I yeah mean, no i think there's a youngian yeah collective unconsciousness thing that happens yeah. when you go someplace yeah you can feel it yeah you feel it yeah you have that you have that sense yeah so. um, yeah like i saw this tiktok video recently where this woman lives in her van in like ohio and she's like here's all the things i do when i'm ready to go to bed to avoid getting the dreaded knock on the van door Exactly. That sounds horrible. Sketchy. And we've had like, I mean, we've probably all like as women traveling alone like that, we've had some horror stories. So that was like one of the places where we felt safe. Yeah, Yeah, I traveled a lot alone when I was young. And I remember traveling to Tunisia. Oh, my God. This is an amazing story. And I had been living in Paris and I forget I couldn't get to where I wanted to go on my vacation. So I ended up in Tunisia and I was a young female and, you know, I was hot. Yeah. Anyway, I wasn't <laughs> dressed. I wasn't dressed appropriately. Let's just leave it at that. And I decided <laughs> to take an excursion out into the desert um, with the, some other people. But basically, I wanted to see the sunset come up over the dunes. And I remember that night, because everyone was in couples or groups. And that night, a nomad came to my tent. And he's like, I sleep with you tonight. And give you beautiful camel. <laughs> I went, vous faire foot, which is French for go fuck yourself, because I learned how to say that. I'll have to and, practice that. Yeah. And I, I had no fear. That was oh also gosh. part of it. Yeah. I had no fear. Because I think when you're young, yeah. you just are so stupid. Yeah. No offense. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, there is something to be said for ignorance is bliss. So true. And, and you guys also have each other, which is a huge support yeah. system. You know, like you can bounce yeah. things off of each other and support each other and stuff. You know, I mean, but you we went to Tunisia more, by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. We are yeah, more fearful now, too, though. Like we have you the same be. conversation that we're <laughs> like, I wish be. we were as like fearless as we were when no. we first met. But we were stupid. No. No, I got very lucky. Yeah, so did a we. lot of the time. Yeah. I had knocks on my door. Yeah. I had, you know, but yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. I would grab a knife and be oh, yeah. like, yeah. and be like, uh, you know, and I really felt this way. I was like, yeah. you're not going to kill me. I'm going to kill you. Yeah. I really did feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I felt very empowered that way. Yeah. I, I don't really feel that way anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, 
I always, I think that if it came down to it, I still feel that way in the sense of like that I would do anything to protect like my loved ones. And I still do keep a knife by the bed (laughs) and other weapons. But, um, but we've, yeah, there's just been too many close (laughs) calls. There's too many close calls. Like we've had to pull out the taser. We've had to have the dog be like protecting us before camping. We've had to have the taser like just Mm -hmm. all sorts of you know and at some point you're just like is this worth it yeah i can't imagine camping i just can't yeah i'm not a camper i never yeah i need a bathroom i mean because anyone can just open you're like at some point we were like huh like this isn't really a wall or a door that (laughs) can lock like huh no i mean living in a van is about uh, i can't imagine doing that either but at least you have the ability to drive away if you Mm -hmm. if you can Mm -hmm. but you're so vulnerable in a tent i'm just like uh yeah and I, I think that's why there's not that many, like, documentary woman filmmakers or, like, mm-hmm. a lot of different, like, p- careers that, like, end up putting you in vulnerable, dangerous positions. Like, yeah. I, I can see why. It's, it's a male-dominated industry or way of life even, and that kind of sucks. Yeah, and it's yeah. also a lot of hard work, you know? I mean, it's just mm-hmm. work. It's just... Yeah. So, like, when you're... <sighs> Do you have a crew when you film, or is it just the two of you? Both, like sometimes we, depending on the situation, like if it's a super remote area, like the Copper Canyons, it was just the two of us. And we were so glad that it was because it really gave us like a intimate presence there where like they, they were really intimidated sort of by like, what are you doing here? And with the cameras and everything, I'm so glad it was, it could just be the two of us. Mm -hmm. We both do the cinematography and like Sarah primarily did the sound. Also, and um, and all we the editing, also- yeah, we we only recently started to work with crews mm-hmm. because we have more money that we can afford to do that. But in mm-hmm. the beginning, all of our work it was just the two of us for every single job. So if you roll the credits, it's just our <laughs> names, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I mean, so like, how does the crew feel when you go? Here's craft services. It's all vegetables. No M and M's. No goldfish. No crackers. Bye. We don't give them anything. No, <laughs> we're not that big of a production company. <laughs> we have kale. We have kale for you guys. Yeah. Would you like some kale? <laughs> no thanks, no. Sarah and Dana. No thanks. We're gonna no. go get our Swedish fish somewhere else. Oh, well, we actually no, we like, feel the last people that we hired uh, owned a farm, and we're also documentary filmmakers. So they oh. were wanting to go and visit the garden that we were paying them to go do. For their own benefit that they were like we should have paid you to have us you know yeah to they should have paid us <laughs> well i mean that we we try to find people that that are working with us that actually like care about the same things that we do care about so if we fed them kale they would be stoked yeah <laughs> yeah oh i have to tell that story so dean comes home and he goes guess what i had kale i'm like what he goes the girls they gave me a piece of kale out of their garden, and it was so good. And I felt like Linda Richmond on Saturday Night Live. I was like, I can die now. I can <laughs> die now. Like the time Barbara Streisand surprised them on Saturday yeah, Night Live. Yeah, I remember Live. that. She goes, I can die now. Yeah. I was like, oh, you ate kale? I can literally <laughs> die now. He goes, well, how come it doesn't taste good when you make it? Because I buy my kale at Trader Joe's and open, <laughs> a, plastic, like shit. open a plastic bag. He goes, listen, Dean ate a piece of kale. That's how good the kale was. And he goes, it was really good. Is there kale in that stuff? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can try it right now. (laughs) I want to try it right now. All right. Hold on. I'm moving the mic out of the way. Thank God. Now we can talk. The mic is out of her freaking face for five minutes. Just put some kale in your mouth. (laughs) You guys are like my hero. 
Oh, you like you have a space for your garden or for a garden? We'll, we'll come we, plant some kale for you. Really? Yeah. Definitely. It's so easy. Like, I have once cats you... that go in the yard, though. Oh, cats are a good fine. thing for your garden because yeah. they actually keep rodents down. Yeah, that, it's got them wilted, but that's the kale? kale. Okay. There's there's several different varieties in there. I think like um, we did the Russian kale, the white Russian kale. And the blue curled scotch kale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of varieties of kale. We I can die now. <laughs> it's actually quite good. I know. Well, yeah. The speaking of like different varieties and like the flavors of things, the documentary that we're working on right now, one of the documentaries that's about food, we're calling it the Arc of Taste, and it's all about foods that are in danger of going extinct. So it's like all across the board, from like actually different plant varieties and vegetables and fruits to even like different cheese varieties and chocolate and wines and like there's all these Wine. things that yeah there's you're, now her, now she's listening me. so the the even bbc just did like a short on it and the food journalist dan saladino wrote this book called eating to extinction that inspired this idea and it's all about like all around the world how all of these different varieties that we used to have so many different diversity options for every different type of food there is and now we have like the one cavendish banana variety that exists everywhere. Oh, I read about you know? this. Yeah, yeah, so that's you probably the the bananas like kind of been um, publicized a lot as far as that goes. We're focusing on citrus as our first episode and how there used to be like thousands of different cultivars and different varieties, and you could have so many different unique flavors and the nutrient profiles that would be just part of your diet, and how much that has changed. And how much that diversity is like a food security thing for if mm-hmm. one disease hits. All, like that's happened with the Washington Naval Orange. All of the um, Washington Naval Oranges got wiped out in Florida, and it's they're trying to prevent it from happening in California because it's like all one one type of crop. So then, like this Asian citrus psyllid comes along, and suddenly they're all lost at once. If they had a bunch of different things going, like different varieties, some of them have resistance, like the Australian finger lime and. Anyway, scientists are trying to find solutions and working with farmers and chefs to try to keep certain foods from going extinct. So that's our goal is to, like, get them back on people's plates, get them in the hands of chefs and treat it more like an art instead of just like a commodity. Yeah. You know, I mean, really, (laughs) the fast food industry has literally ruined our country. Nobody cares. Jen's still eating kale. (laughs) Like, you don't have to. She's still shoveling it in. (laughs) I don't want to be crunching into my microphone. Well, just eat it. Eat the damn kale. I'm eating it. Oh my God. It's not like you're crunching like a potato chip. Oh, potato chips. Mm. Those, you guys don't probably we eat a lot eat potato of... chips, actually, yeah. No, I can't imagine. Yeah. You do? Yeah, we do. Kettle cooked, like... Um, They're organic, yeah. Yeah. You can buy organic potato chips? You can, and actually, I highly uh, recommend if you're going to be eating potatoes or other root crops is one of the most important ones to try to get organic because farmers actually plant them to pull out toxins in the soil like before a a field can be converted to organic so they're huge absorbers of like heavy metals and all these sorts of toxins that you could google that but um yeah stay (laughs) stay away from the non-organic potatoes if you can so you mean the habanero chips that i I ate the other day that were super spicy probably not great well then yeah we do the same thing sometimes but then i'm like why does my stomach hurt later and and i won't even think about like maybe that's related but um but yeah there's there's some long-term effects that are not fun food as medicine yeah well it's so true yeah i mean true food as medicine is really the key you know that I, i mean listen 
we're coming to the end of our time here. I feel like I could talk to you girls for another five hours. And I, I know could. Jan would be up for that too. <laughs> anyway. No, because then I just want to kill myself because I feel like such a loser. <laughs> girls are like such over friggin' achievers. I know. We love them. I mean, I love you guys, but dear God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel you. like the biggest Let's re-examine loser your, ever. Our life cho- Let's re-examine our life choices. <laughs> right? Well, look anyway, at you guys. Let's... You're not You're not wearing one hat, that's for sure, from no, what I've heard. No, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 Well, we try. Anyway, yeah. listen, we could talk to you guys. We're going to have you guys back because we want to talk more about all the other stuff that you have going on. I mean, we... Uh, uh, as incredible as it may seem, we just spent an hour talking to the girls about all sorts of different crap, and we've barely scratched the surface. Seriously. Barely. Barely. Well, they'll be accepting their Oscar for the best documentary next. And, and we'll be eating some. We'll be eating kale podcast. in front of our TV going, hey, we had those girls on our podcast <laughs> one time. Remember? I wonder if I wonder if we could replay that podcast and anyway. generate some audience. Anyway, thank you for coming. Thank you so much for coming. And thank we you. really appreciate it. And good luck with all of your adventures. And we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.